Tonight's guest in the Honky Tonk Time Machine is a Country Music Hall of Famer, a Grammy winner, ACM and CMA Award winner, and we get the pleasure of having him on the show for a second time. Arguably the most recognizable voice in the Oak Ridge Boys, I'm talking about Richard Sturban. Richard, it's great to have you back on. Welcome back to the Honky Tonk Time Machine. Well, Glenn, thank you. It's a pleasure to be back on your show it's a pleasure to be able to talk to you again and to all your fine listeners out there. Well, that's very nice of you to say. Richard, by the way, is the bass singer for the Oak Ridge Boys. And uh, last time we talked was about three years ago. The country was mired in the COVID-19 pandemic. And I asked you then if you had any plans to retire anytime soon. You said no. And here we are three years later, and you're coming to the SEMO District Fair on Tuesday. We're excited. You know. We may slow down a little bit, but we, we, we still love doing what we do. We look forward every night when we're on tour to take our music live to our fans and to our audiences. That has not changed. And I can speak for all the Oak Ridge Boys, and I can tell you, we are looking forward once again to coming back your way, and we're going to do our best to make it a great night. Well, I think you've been part of the Oak Ridge Boys for, what, 50 years now? A little over 50 years? Last October, I celebrated my 50th anniversary. And, that, and, and this year, Joe Bonzo is celebrating his 50 years. So this foursome this year has been together for 50 years, and that is, that is just mind-boggling. Sometimes we look back on the last 50 years, and we just wonder, where has the time gone? So many, so many great things have happened to us over the last 50 years. You know, it's, it'd be hard to, 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 to name them all. But we've had a great career. We've been blessed. And we're, we're fortunate to still be doing it after all of these years. I've been fortunate enough to see you play a few times. Um, uh, over the course of that 50 years, how much has the show changed? We don't, you know, every time we do a new uh, new project or a new album, we will have new materials to the show. But it's pretty much the same as been, you know, if, one one thing you can count on, you're going to hear me do Giddy Up, Boom, Papa, Mountain Hour when we come to town. You know, you're going to hear, you know, American Made. You're going to hear our first hit ever, you know, Y'all Come Back Saloon. Probably our most requested song that we have over the years, uh, Thank God for Kids. And uh, we're calling our tour this year the Front Porch Singing Tour. So we'll, for a while, we'll turn our stage into a front porch and do some of that new music. But once again, it's going to be a great night of just good country music and good family entertainment. That's really what the Oak Ridge Boys are all about. No doubt about that. We cannot wait to have you September 12th at the SEMO District Fair. That's this coming Tuesday. And You know, last time we talked, you had sent me your autobiography from Elvis to Elvira, My Life on Stage. And it was a fascinating read. Found out a lot about you. Some of it I asked you about. Some I didn't. But one thing I was fascinated to read was that you started out as a soprano. Well, that's right. You know, it's kind of an interesting book. You know, uh, I love the title. It says, From Elvis to Elvira, which kind of says it all. And there's great Elvis stories in there. There's uh, there's uh, great Oak Ridge Boys stories in there. But it's my personal story. And I go back to the first singing that I ever did as a boy soprano. You know, it's hard to believe, but I was a boy soprano at one time. And I was in church. I was in Sunday school. And I, I will never, ever forget that experience. You know, and after that, that first singing as a boy at six years old, I had a high voice until I got into junior high school. And uh, between seventh grade and eighth grade in junior high school, my voice made a change. And boy, did it make a drastic change. And, uh, <laughs> Choir, choir teacher could not believe the difference. You know, I went back from my eighth grade year. Uh, she put me into the second base section, and I've been there ever since. <laughs> <laughs>
How does one become a bass singer? Do you start out wanting to do that, or is it something that you kind of figure out that's going to be your strength, your niche, as you start making your way through a music career? Well, I think, first of all, I wanted to, I, I, even as a young boy, six years old, I felt in, almost impressed that day that this is probably going to be my calling in life, that I was meant to sing in front of people. But I had a high voice. I didn't realize I was going to be a bass singer at that time. But then when my voice changed in junior high school, I realized, well, maybe I will be a bass singer instead. <laughs> and, 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 you know, so I've kind of followed my dreams since then. And it's, I think it's turned out okay. I think so. I think so. Some other things from that autobiography that, that we talked about when you came on three years ago, you, you told me some good Elvis stories. The, the one that stood out was the, was the prank that he pulled on you guys with the, the fake attack on his life. That one has gotten many a laugh from anybody who's tuning into the Honky Tonk Time Machine because I've replayed it a few times now. But I know there's more stories than just that one, so I was wondering if you had any other interesting, juicy details on the King you could pass along to us. Probably the, the, uh, the best Elvis story I can think of right now is, is uh, you know, the, the first time that I ever met Elvis. You know, when I, I was with J.D. Sumner and the Stamps Quartet. We found out we were going to be working with the King of Rock and Roll, and it involved us having to rehearse. And I remember going to Minneapolis where the tour was starting, and that's where we were going to rehearse. And I remember that day going into the rehearsal hall. We got there. We, there was no Elvis. You know, the TCB band was there. The Sweet Inspirations, they were there. Kathy Westmoreland. We hung out with all those people, got to know them really well. But they were saying, you know, Elvis is normally fashionably late, but this is a little unusual. And But after a while, to try to make this long story short, uh, we heard this commotion coming down the hall. The door opened, and in walked Elvis. And I will never forget that. My, my jaw just dropped. You know, I was up to that point in my life, I was kind of a casual Elvis fan. But at that moment, when he walked into the room, I realized why he was the biggest star in the world. You know, he, he, he could almost feel his presence in the room. He had such magnetism, such charisma, whatever word you wanted to use. And I'll never forget that experience. He came over to all of us. He hugged us by uh, around our necks. He welcomed us into his organization. He called us all by our first names. And it was a great experience. I'll never forget that. Two years of your life were spent singing behind Elvis on stage. And I'm sure looking back now, that time went really fast. But as you do look back on it, you know, what kind of memories do you have? Well, I have some great memories. You know, I got to know Elvis just a little bit. And I had some very fond memories. And, you know, even though Elvis was the king of rock and roll, and he certainly was, I really believe that deep down inside, his favorite music was gospel music. He, and, and some of my best memories of the times I spent with Elvis involved singing gospel songs. He, most days on tour, he'd like to, he would love to try to find a piano. And we all, he would expect us all to get around the piano. And we would sing gospel songs and spirituals. He loved spirituals as well. And so, so uh, like my, my fondest memories, you know, of, of being with Elvis involved singing gospel songs. And I, I'll never forget one time in particular. We were up in his suite, standing around, around the piano. They're singing, 
and he came over and stood right next to me, and he got down close to my ear, and he, he tried to show me that he could sing bass as well, you know. <laughs> and and that's, that, that's something, once again, I'll never forget. But, I, you know, he was he was an okay bass singer, but I think he was a lot better doing it than what he was doing, really. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And you left Elvis in 1972 to join the Oak Ridge Boys. But I know that wasn't the easiest decision for you because... I mean, you're leaving the biggest star in the world, like you said, to start something new with the Oaks. Well, you're right about that. That was a major decision that I made in my life. And it really, I received the phone call, and the phone call actually changed my life. You know, William Lee Golden called me of the Oak Ridge Boys. He's the the gentleman in our group with the long beard. You know, he's probably the most recognizable character that we have in our group. And he called me, and he said that the bass singer in the Oak Ridge Boys was leaving. And the Oak Ridge Boys wanted to know if I would be interested in taking the job. Now, here I was at the time, apparently on top of the world, singing with the king of rock and roll, but I had to make a decision. Like, what do I do? And, and, and I, had to, I had to admit that back then I was a big fan of the Oak Ridge Boys. I loved the music that they were making. I collected their records. And I really felt like the group had a great deal of potential, and I wanted to be a part of it. So I made the decision back in 1972 to leave Elvis and to join the Oak Ridge Boys. And, you know, back then a lot of people questioned that decision. How would you leave Elvis and join the Oak Ridge Boys? But, you know, I really believed I was doing the right thing. I kind of followed my heart. And now over 50 years later, when I look back on that, I think back on that day in 1972, I think I made a pretty good decision. That's an understatement if I ever heard one. And what a good fit it was, too. And it's probably why you chose to leave Elvis. The Oak Ridge Boys were a gospel quartet. And this gave you a chance to dive headfirst into the music that you grew up loving. So it fit like a glove, didn't it? Well, it really did. You know, when, I, when I first joined the Oak Ridge Boys, the Oak Ridge Boys were strictly a gospel group. We were singing. We were one of the top southern gospel groups, you know, and singing all our, our whole show was all gospel, but we gradually made a transition, you know, from from gospel music in the country. Uh, we met uh, Jim Halsey, who uh, became our manager almost fifty years ago. He's still our manager today, and he signed us to our first record contract uh, with uh, ABC Dodd Records, which later became MCA Records. And we we acquired the services of Ron Chancy, became our producer, and he started producing country hits on the Oak Ridge Boys. Now, we have never really turned our backs on gospel music. We still include gospel music in our shows. And when we come your way, we will definitely do some gospel. But we now make primarily make our living singing country music. And, uh, you know, like I said, we've been very fortunate. We've been blessed. Over the course of the last 50 years, we've had a great career. So many great things have happened to us. And so it began the mass appeal or commercial appeal of the Oak Ridge Boys was that what was behind the decision to start making more country music than gospel? Were you looking for that more universal mass appeal? Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head right there. Yes, we we wanted to not be quite as marginalized, and we wanted to expand our audience and reach more people with our music. And we felt to do that, we would have to you know, expand the type of music that we were doing. So that's why we got into country music. As I mentioned a minute ago, we never turned our backs on gospel music, but we added country music, and, and it opened up a whole new world for the Oak Ridge Boys. And as a result of that, you know, uh, we are now a household name, you know, in the music business. Fast forward to 50 years later, you're now in the halls of fame for both country 
and gospel music. So along the way, you did something right. Well, you're right about that. And I can tell you, you know, I already talked about my time with Elvis. You know, when I was a young man in my 20s, singing with the king of rock and roll, I never dreamed back then that someday I would be in 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 two Hall of Fames with him. You know, at, uh, the Oak Ridge Boys are now, as you mentioned, in the, in the, the Country Music Hall of Fame and also in the Gospel Music Hall of Fame. And, you know, if you go into the Hall of Fame here in Nashville, you walk into that rotunda, which is a very special place, you will see the four faces of the Oak Ridge Boys on the wall in bronze. Then you look around the room and you look down the wall, just a little ways down, you will see Elvis. And not just Elvis, though. You'll see Johnny Cash, you know, Dolly Parton, Kenny Rogers. The biggest names in in, in, uh, in country music, and for the Oak Ridge Boys to be a part of that group, to be a part of that family, is a very, very special thing. Nice little plug for the Country Music Hall of Fame. I'm sure they enjoyed that. But yeah, the four faces of the Oak Ridge Boys. So, William Lee Golden, and then I guess Dwayne Allen was the second to join, followed by yourself, and then Joe Bonzel joined up last. And that iteration of the Oak Ridge Boys has been around for 50 years give or take a few years where there were some shakeups, but for the most part, 50 years, and all of you are still here. Well, you're right about that. You know, William Lee Golden, out of this foursome, William Lee Golden was the first one to join. He joined in 1965. Our lead singer, Dwayne Allen, came one year later in 1966. I already talked about my time with Elvis. I left Elvis in 1972, and then one year later, you know, Joe Bonzel joined in 1973. So as I said earlier, this makes 50 years we've been together, and it's pretty mind-boggling. We've had a great career. Who's the best singer of the four, Richard? That'd be difficult to say. You know, we're all <laughs> different. You know, you know, you know, I, you know. one of the things that makes the Old Ridge Boys a special group is the fact that we are all different. Each, each man is different. Each man brings something different to the table. And that's part of our appeal. I really believe that, you know. And, you know, I think and a long time ago, we, we learned to respect that difference between the four of us. And, and, and uh, we, I think we realized a long time ago that we need each other. You know, so, so we, become, we became the best of friends. And, and, and uh, we're, we're a true group. We're a true brotherhood. We pull together as a team. And I think that's, that's what makes us so, so, so successful. Well, if you don't mind, let's get into the music that made the Oak Ridge Boys famous. You know how the show works. We hear the stories behind the songs, and I guess there's no better place to start than the breakthrough single, Y'all Come Back Saloon, in 1977. That was your first big country radio hit, wasn't it? You're right about that. And I remember, you know, listening to that song in, in, in the, in the uh, room with, with Ron Shansey, our producer. When he played the demo of that song, I felt like the demo was so good, it could have been a hit. And so we, when we heard that song, we decided immediately, we've got to record this thing, you know. And sure enough, it became our first number one country record and kind of laid the foundation for what was the follow, you know, years later. For, for, for like 15 years in a row, everything we put out went to, the, you know, the top of the country music charts. And, and we were very fortunate. But the Y'all Come Back Saloon laid the groundwork for all of that. You know, I'm sure for a bass singer, it's hard to find a song where you can really shine as, as like, the lead singer. But you found one of those in 1979 with Dream On. It's kind of difficult to find a song that lends itself to a bass voice. You know, but, but our producer, Ron Chansey, he found, uh, you know, Dream On. Uh, it was actually the Righteous Brothers version. You know, Bill Medley sang the lead vocal for the Righteous Brothers. He had a low voice. 
and he uh, and and so we took that song. We felt it was a good song for me to sing, and I kind of just adapted it to my way of doing things. And I think it turned out okay. We still do it every night on stage, and we'll do it when we come your way. One of my favorite Oak Ridge Boys songs has always been "Leaving Louisiana in the Broad Daylight," which uh, I think Rodney Crowell wrote that. Amy Lou Harris recorded it actually before you did, but your version was the one that was released as a single and became the big hit. You are correct. The song was written by Rodney Corral, and the first time I ever heard it, it was Amy Lou Harris. There's no doubt about it. And I thought it was a great song. And I'll never forget when uh, we uh, were sitting in, 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 in the office with Ron Chansey. He played that song, and I figured, wow, I love this song, I, and I'm so glad we're going to record this song. And sure enough, it became a big hit for the Oak Ridge Boys, and we will do it when we come your way as, as well. Now, speaking of Rodney Crowell, he didn't write Elvira, but he did record a version of it. I think it was in 1978. It didn't really do anything for him. You guys got your hands on it, and it just took off and blew up for you in 1981. This is like 15 years after it had been written. What was the difference? Why did it work so well for you when it hadn't in the 15 years prior? The fact I already mentioned earlier that the four of us are so different. Each each of our voices are different, and the fact that we were able to you know feature the high tenor on on the verses, and then me with doing the giddy up, boom, bop, a mile, my part, that kind of gave us something a little extra that the other artists didn't have. And so, so I think I think that was definitely a factor. You know, the song was written by a good friend of ours, Dallas Frazier passed away just this past year. And this is kind of an interesting story. Uh, he was driving home from a recording session or, uh, or a writing session or whatever in Nashville. He was driving through East Nashville, and he came up to a street sign that said Elvira Street. He saw, and he pulled his car right up to the street sign, and right there on the spot, he pulled out a piece of paper or an envelope or something, and right on the spot he wrote, Elvira, Elvira. My heart's on fire for Elvira. And then he wrote the giddy-up, boom, papa, mau, mau part right there. And as he told the story many times, he, he said that the boom, papa, mau, mau part imitates the bumps that were on the road. Elvira Street evidently had a lot of potholes, and so boom, papa, mau, mau imitates the bumps on the, on the street. Now when he, but that's all he had. So when he got home, he added, he wrote verses about a woman, you know, so the whole song would make sense. But the original inspiration for Elvira came from the street side. That's a story that a lot of people don't know. You know, that's funny because I always wondered growing up if the pop culture sensation Elvira had anything to do with that song. And sounds like the answer to that is no, it was a, it was a street. (laughs) I don't think, you know, Elvira herself had anything to do with our version of Elvira. I, you know, I, I know personally I've never met Elvira, and, and, and I wish I had, to be honest with you. I'd love to talk. I think we all love to talk to her about how much Elvira, you know, uh, affected the Oak Ridge Boys' career. But to answer your question, I think they were separate entities. There's no doubt about it. Just unrelated. That That's really cool. And, and to go back to your point of the four very distinct voices making the song completely unique with the different parts, in my opinion, it's your voice that sets it apart the most. Without the oom papa loom papa mau mau, I don't think that song is nearly as big a hit. That is kind of the hook of the song, if I could put it that way. And, uh, you know, even after all these years, when we perform that song on stage, when we get to the oom papa mau mau part, 
what is a lot of fun for me personally is to look out in the audience and see all of the men, or most of the men anyway, trying to sing along with me. It is, <laughs> it's funny to see people, the men trying to do that. Uh, I guess some of them can do it. You know, every now and then we'll run into a guy that, that can do it pretty well. But for <laughs> the most part, you know, <laughs> I think every, everyone is just trying to do it. <laughs> yep. Exactly right, and that's when I became a fan was when I saw you guys perform that at the Grand Ole Opry, and I've been a fan ever since. Trying to Love Two Women, um, 1980, another one of my favorites. What do you remember about that one, Richard? Well, once again, you know, I I mentioned earlier that Ron Chansey was our producer. In fact, we got so close with Ron, we started referring to him as the fifth Oak Ridge boy, and I remember he came on our bus one time. He he was going on the road with us. He wanted to play us some songs, and he was singing. I was trying to love two women. We couldn't figure out what in the world he was singing. He says, "I got to play this song for you guys." And he played the demo, and once again, he he, he said, "said This is going to be a great song for you guys." And we looked around and we said, "Yeah, I think so." And immediately when we heard that song, we felt it would be a perfect song for William Lee Golden to sing the lead vocal on because it kind of. At the time, it kind of talked about his life, to be honest with you. <laughs> and and it, it, it just became a natural thing. And once again, we still do that song most nights on stage. You were telling me last time we talked that he didn't always have that long beard. In fact, it used to be quite the opposite. He was very clean-cut and clean-shaven. Well, you're right about that. You know, I, I mentioned earlier uh, you know, in our interview that you know he, he called me up when I was singing with the Oak Ridge Boys. He placed the phone call you know, that really changed my life. But back then, he was—he did not have the long beard. He was Mr. GQ. You know, he, he had short hair. He dressed in the latest fashions of the day. And, and he was totally a different person than, than he is today. But I think, you know, he once again, that the, the look that he has with the beard and everything uh, is part of the Oak Ridge Boys. He, he's probably the, the most recognizable character that we have in our group. And we certainly, certainly would not be the Oak Ridge Boys without him. Well, let's skip ahead to 1982 with Bobby Sue, which was kind of the second coming of Elvira, or at least it seemed like that's what you were going for, even your part with the Ba-ba-ba-ba-Bobby Sue, another very recognizable moment for you to shine in that song. Is that what you were going for? Were you trying to recapture that magic? Well, you know, when we had such success with, with Elvira, we wanted to try to find a song that we thought could follow Elvira. And when we heard that song, we figured this is exactly it with the ba-ba, ba-ba, Bobby Sue. And sure enough, we put it out, and it was not quite as big as Elvira, but it, it was pretty big. And it, it, was, it was definitely a song that was able to fo- follow Elvira. And we end our shows now, for, and we've been doing it for years, with Elvira, and, and we follow it at the very end with Bobby Sue. So when you come and see us, if you hear Elvira, and you hear Bobby Sue, you know the show's over, <laughs> and we're going to start our we're going to start our bus, and we're going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> it makes perfect sense because they do go hand in hand in both ladies' names, might I add. Now this year, you're probably aware that it's the 40th anniversary of American Made. Well, I am aware of that. You know, last year we celebrated the 40th anniversary of Elvira. You know, you've been around a while when some of your biggest hits, you know, have been around for for over forty years, and that's certainly the case of the Oak Ridge Boys. You know, and, and we include that song. That that's definitely one of our biggest hits, and we we include that song on every show. And we will do it when we come to town.
Every year, July 4th, without fail, you're going to hear that song somewhere, and it definitely works as a patriotic song. But were you trying to be patriotic when you recorded it? Because it doesn't necessarily have to be, but it's certainly taken that way. Well, you know, we are patriotic guys. There's no question about it. And when we come to town, we will do some patriotic music. Uh, we will honor our country. We will honor our veterans and our troops. And, and we, we love, you know, the freedoms that we experience living in this country. You know, but, but I think when we heard Elvira, we just felt it was a great song. And we thought it was a hit song, and we wanted to do it. So it, 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 it kind of all blended together with the way we feel and the way we believe. And it, it just worked out just right. Well, Richard, we're sitting here in southeast Missouri, not too far away from the Ozark Mountains. And a song that you guys did that's always been near and dear to our hearts is Ozark Mountain Jubilee. How'd you come to record it? Well, once again, maybe it was a song that's... Uh, Ron Chansey found for us, and I remember when he played the demo in his office. We heard that song, and we went, wow, this is really, really, really something special. And it turned out to be something special. William Lee Golden sang the lead vocal, and he, he has such a great way of interpreting a lyric and then communicating that lyric to an audience. And he certainly does that, you know, with the, with the Ozark Mountain Jubilee. And uh, we, do it, we don't do it on every show any longer, but we still do it quite often and there's a good chance we'll do it when we come to town you guys did that in 83 four years later william lee would actually leave the group and he would be replaced by the late steve sanders yet you continued to make hits despite not having as you said your most recognizable member and a cornerstone of the oak ridge boys what was that time like because on the surface it looks like you didn't miss a beat but i'm sure it hurt not having them you know, we still had hit records. You're absolutely right. We're still doing just fine. But I can tell you, during that whole time, it never just felt quite right to the Oak Ridge Boys. We were missing a big part of us. And uh, I'll never forget when we decided to settle our differences with William Lee and We sat down and we talked with him. And I'll, rem- I'll never forget the first time we sang we sang together with him in the recording studio. I mean, we all got goosebumps. We all figured, wow, you know, we've been missing this. This is way the way the Oak Ridge Boys are meant to be, and it is special. And we're and it's been many years now since he's been back. It doesn't even feel at this point like he's, he was gone, but he was, and we're glad he's back. Well, it's only natural to have differences after 50 years together. And I guess in 87, you hadn't been together for that long. But still, you're talking days, weeks, months on end, just being right next to each other all the time. So just like any tight-knit family, fights are going to break out. What's amazing about your story, though, is you all were able to overcome that. We were, I'm glad that we all became men and sat down and worked the differences out. And, and, and that is behind us now. you know. And now... I think we're too old to let little things bother us. And I think we all get along a lot better now than we ever did back then. But not too old to make great music, and you're coming our way. Well, thank you, sir. September 12th. Thank you. Richard, you're a heck of a guy. Can't thank you enough for coming on my show not once, but twice. Can't wait to see you Tuesday. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to talk to you and all your fine listeners out there. And thank you for promoting the show and for promoting the fact that we are coming to town. When you do that, you help us, and we appreciate it. So thank you very, very much.